Hey everybody and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Abajemra and I'm your host. It is uh, great to have you back with us if you've been here before and if you're new, welcome. We're glad that you checked in with us. This is a place where we share biblical truth for everyday life. Our hope is that you grow in the knowledge of God and that you continue to stand strong in a world that is shaken. And so this summer we are running a teaching series that I've put together called the Unshaken Series. It is an awesome teaching series and uh, one of the most popular teachings that I've done. It uh, focuses each week on a different Bible character, a man or woman that has stood strong in faith no matter the difficult circumstances they were in. I know that you're gonna find hope and healing with each of the weeks that will cover a different episode. And so uh, if you wanna know more about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. And by the way, when you land on our page, check out our speaking page. And if you are looking for a person to come and teach uh, or lead a conference at your church or uh, group gathering, then please reach out. We'd love to meet you in person. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and listen to today's teaching in the Unshaken series. The people of Israel, interestingly, they're the sort of the people thread that we follow throughout the Old Testament. Um, they were very much like us. They uh, thought, you know, they, they wanted God when things were bad. And then when things got good, they forgot about God. And, and so they had this very sort of crazy relationship with God where, you know, they would repent just in time. Whenever God would, you know, remind them that they were not walking according to his ways, they would repent and then just go back to their own ways. And then when they needed God, they would come back. And so throughout their history, God would send them prophets, men who would come and remind them. And so much like, I can't help as I'm thinking about Jeremiah, thinking about uh, sort of this concept of of, of uh, John the Baptist, who was uh, the, 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 the person who came right before Jesus, the prophet who came right before Jesus in the New Testament. And, and he kind of cries out these famous words, you know, um, prepare the way of the Lord. And, and he's out in the wilderness crying those things out. And Jeremiah and so many of the other prophets of the Old Testament have that flavor where there's a, a nation and a people who are drifting away from God. And there's this lone voice in the wilderness speaking truth. And ironically, nobody believed uh, the prophet to be speaking truth. In fact, often because the word of the prophet was a word of calling to repentance and a word of rebuke, people wanted them shut up. And so we're going to see that in the life of Jeremiah in a second. By the way, if you're just tuning in, we're in Lesson 21, uh, Lamentations 3. Uh, our series is called Unshaken, Strong in Faith No Matter What. And this teaching is called Unshaken, When All My Hope is lost, when all my hope is lost. So Lamentations 3 is our text. Let me go ahead and read you some of the story. And then I can't help it, I gotta tell you about the prophet Jeremiah because to read Lamentations without understanding his story will just take away so much of the richness of what's happening here. Lamentations 3, by the way, the beginning of it is a little hard. So bear with me, it's heavy. But then we get to the part that so many of us are familiar with. And you're gonna see when I get to those verses. But Jeremiah writes in chapter 3, verse 1 of Lamentations. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. He's talking about God. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me, he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He had made my paths crooked. 
He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion and hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. <clears throat> my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. Let him be filled with insults. Here it is, verse 31. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. I'm gonna stop reading right there and bring you up to speed on what uh, is going on in the life of Jeremiah. The book of Lamentations is written after the besieging of the city of Jerusalem, the defeat of Jerusalem, after years of Jeremiah prophesying to the kings. In fact, a little bit of information about Jeremiah. He lived in uh, the spectrum of time that is about um, 626 BC was when his ministry started. Uh, 626 before Christ to 587 BC. His ministry spanned about 40 years. Uh, he, uh, he was a prophet during the period that spanned the reigns of five kings of Judah. Judah had five kings during the time of him prophesying. Josiah, who was, remember, a good king, he brought along revival after him. And by the way, uh, it didn't last long, but after him, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. All uh, of these four kings uh, refused the message of Jeremiah. In fact, all of the prophets in that time were pro wanted to prophesy good things. And then Jeremiah, who was speaking for the Lord, was prophesying the coming destruction of Jerusalem, the coming siege of Jerusalem by the Babylonian Empire. And so the kings thought that Jeremiah was against them. And so they refused to hear the word of God that was calling them to repentance. And instead, they, they just assumed that he was a false prophet, which he was not. He was the only good prophet, the only true prophet. And so in those 40 years, imagine, by the way, uh, I think even before we get much further, let, let me kind of take you back to the introduction of the life of Jeremiah, because we hear in Lamentations 3, this heaviness of heart. In fact, the very book is called Lamentations. Lamentations itself, that, that book is, was called uh, in, the, in the original Hebrew language, Ika, which means the word Ika for Lamentations, before it was given the term Lamentations, the, the book title is H-O-W, how, how, and it is a lament. It is, it is a cry of the heart of Jeremiah on behalf of the people, even though for 40 years he prophesied what was to come. And yet when he walked around and saw the destruction of Jerusalem, he was devastatedly heartbroken 
in despair. And we'll see the turnaround in that chapter in a moment. But before we get to that, remember that Jeremiah, back in Jeremiah chapter one, he, Jeremiah wrote both Jeremiah and Lamentations. And so, and chronologically in the Old Testament, those books uh, come towards the end. There's a few of the minor prophets around that time. We've already studied about Nehemiah. Well, Ezra and Nehemiah come at the very end of the Old Testament. I think the only other book after Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther, those three books around the end of the Old Testament. And then there's Malachi. And, and er, not much before that is the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations and Daniel and some of the other minor prophets. And then you kind of hit the end of the Old Testament, followed by 400 years of silence and then into the New Testament. So much history has passed of the people of Israel. And now you're catching this man, Jeremiah, who starts off his calling. You know, so many times we have here in this space talked about calling. And many of you have asked like, man, I want to know what my calling is. And there's such a desire in our hearts to know what our calling is. Well, uh, the calling of Jeremiah starts off with this promise. Jeremiah chapter 1, the famous words, if you're familiar with the Old Testament or if you've been a Christian for some time, you might, you might be familiar with these words where God shows up to Jeremiah and calls him and he says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So God shows up to Jeremiah when he's a young man, maybe 16, 17 years old, and he calls him into his service. He calls him to himself. And, and Jeremiah was very insecure at the time. His response is, ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth for to all whom I send you, you will go and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you. It's an immensely awesome call. Who doesn't read this chapter? I remember early in my teen and early 20s reading this passage and sensing a call in my life that God had a plan for my life that was bigger than myself. And there's so much hope in this. Little did Jeremiah fully understand the weight of the call that would be coming on his life. Little did he know, maybe he wouldn't have walked down that path if he knew the 40, 50 years that would come where he would be rejected, thrown in the dungeon, thrown in the cistern, ridiculed, dis disgustedly handled by the people of Israel in that time because they did not like the message that he would bring to them. And yet God had called them with such promise. But the story of Jeremiah is so interesting and compelling because throughout this amazing book of Jeremiah, you read of so much. The book is, is not organized so chronologically. It's hard to, even as you read commentaries about Jeremiah, it's sort of the theme is constantly though this, this warning to the people of Israel that you have sinned and because of it, Jerusalem will be destroyed. And, and, and there's a call for them to turn. And rather than turning, they continue in their ways. And of course, 40 years into his ministry, he turns out to be right. But for 40 years, he is chased and, and ridiculed and mocked and imprisoned and suffering. In fact, uh, even before he gets into that part of his ministry, this is the part of ministry nobody tells you about. This is the part of calling that you kind of go, wait, what? I thought God wanted me to serve him. And now you what? And so many Christians might, and remember, we've talked about the book that I wrote, the second book I wrote called Stripped, when God's call turns from yes to why me. So many Christians have lived in this, where you think God wants you to do something, you say yes, and then it all kind of backfires. And yet it is all part of God's plan because your calling is not about you. 
It is about God Almighty and what he wants to accomplish through you. And here we are in 2020 talking about Jeremiah, even though for so much of his life is, is wait and mourning and lament. And so, and, and, and more interesting, God himself puts a call on him that is in our eyes, even as we read it, you get to Jeremiah chapter 16. And there's this interesting aspect of the life of Jeremiah. For those of you who are single, who are listening, you're going to appreciate this. Jeremiah, uh, well, I don't know if you'll appreciate it, but I think you'll find some kinship. But in Jeremiah chapter 16, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. He writes, the word of the Lord came to me. You shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. Why did God tell him not to get married? It was a symbol. Jeremiah was used by God. His life was a very object lesson of God knew what was coming to the people of Israel. And, and in his telling Jeremiah not to get married, he was telling him, look, look, things are going to get really bad. And you're an object lesson to remind the people of Israel that because things are going to get bad, you don't want to have a family around then. And, and furthermore, he told them not only that, but you're not going to mourn this. And so there was a sense of like, things are going to get really bad. And so for year after year, in fact, you should read through the book of Jeremiah and you'll see this pattern where kings struggled. They wanted to hear the message of Jeremiah because deep in their souls, they knew he was right, but he would come and he never swayed. He constantly spoke the truth and he would have a chance, like they'd beat him and then they'd bring him and be like, what did God say again? And you'd think he'd recant, but not once did he recant. In fact, there's a, there's a point in the, towards the end of the book or maybe 40 something in the book of Jeremiah where, where Jeremiah now has a, 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 a person who's working with him, a helper, Baruch, and Baruch is, is his writer. I forget what you call that person, but he would transcribe the writings that Jeremiah would say. And Jeremiah wrote a prophecy that God gave him. It was an entire book. And Baruch takes it to the king and he reads it to the king. And, and then the king takes it and basically rips it up and burns it. It's like, imagine writing a book and then the king just burns it. Why? It wasn't against Jeremiah. because the king did not want the word of God that was being prophesied of the coming destruction on Jerusalem. And so uh, year after year, later on in Jeremiah 40 something again, uh, he's put in a cistern and he's saved by a, a, a eunuch who is a, an Ethiopian who was a slave of the king. And he's the one who goes to bat on behalf of Jeremiah. And, and, uh, and, 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 and finally, 40 years after he prophesied that this would happen, indeed, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire would come in and Jerusalem would be destroyed. And, and the book of Lamentations is the cry of the heart of Jeremiah. And it starts with chapter one and two, Lamentations is a cry. And it's the writing in chapter one and two is different than chapter three because it's not an I, it's a, it talks of as if Jerusalem. So it's really spoken of as a people, uh, uh, you know, it's more how, how lonely sits the city that was full of people. So sort of a little bit more impersonal. And then you get to chapter three and that suffering, even though Jeremiah's done nothing wrong, even though Jeremiah's the prophet, he feels the weight of the sin of the people and the drifting of the culture that has led to this point. Man, I don't know how you can hear these things and, 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 and think about this cry of God for the people of Israel to repent and this warning of the incoming problems and, and the continual refusal of the people to turn and then a coming destruction and, and, and there's not a prophet who's going, I told you so, I told you so for 40 years, I told you so. No, you don't see that. You see a prophet who walks around the city of Jerusalem that is crumbling and he's devastated. And he writes now in the very personal, I am the man who has seen affliction. And he goes on and he describes the pain. 
and I, you get to chapter 3, verse 16, he has made my teeth grind on gravel. And maybe, and you read this, and on one hand, you read these verses that I read you at the beginning of the session, and, and there's a part where you understand that this is about Jerusalem and the people of Israel, but it also feels so personal to anybody who's going through suffering. In verse 11, he talking about, he has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. How many times in our life we're going through difficulties and we feel like everything is against me. And then he, it says in verse 17, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. Who hasn't been there? Who isn't there now? So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. I've not shied away, especially in my upcoming book, that comes out next summer. I've not shied away from talking about the wrestling that I myself have had with the Lord as I've gone through seasons of waiting. In fact, I'm thinking about some of the things that make our hope perish. What steals our hope? And it's always the same things, whether I teach in, in Lamentations or earlier, we've talked about so many different men and women in the Bible. When you think about what it is that steals our hope, it's the same themes that come up over and over again. It is prolonged trial. It is personal failure. It is prolonged waiting. It is persistent destruction. It is a deep awareness of my own sinfulness. It is our own unfulfilled longings and dreams. And so it's easy for us to understand the sense of hopelessness that happens. And so how, how do you remain unshaken? And so you picture a prophet walking around the destruction that has happened in Jerusalem, though he knew it was coming, though he warned that it was coming, there's nothing but sadness and wait and lament. How? And then you see a change starting to happen in verse 19. You see these words, remember my affliction and my wandering. My soul continually remembers it, but this I call to mind. I want to give you the first point here. When, how do you stand unshaken when all your hope is lost? Number one, when all my hope is lost, it is time to stop and remember. It is time to stop and remember. There is something very powerful that happens when we remember right things. The, the, the activity of remembering is interesting. I went for a walk today. I try to go for a walk on Thursdays before I teach. And and I was thinking about the things that we remember. We all are remembering something all the time. You can remember the good things or you can remember the bad things. In a minute, we're going to look at what we need to remember. But, but this act of remembering, haven't you sat with family gatherings? And what happens in family gatherings is an activity that is so natural to us. It is this remembering. We gather together. If you've had some member of the family who's been lost, and we remember things they used to say, values they used to have. We recall to mind it is an intentional effort. It is an activity that requires focus. You see, what we remember has the power to influence how we feel. And what we remember has the power to propel us into either faith or disbelief. And so it is critical for us as, you know, it's no wonder so many Christians when we talk about the attack of the evil one. I, I remember years ago reading the book by Joyce Meyer, probably my favorite book of hers. I've read a handful, but my favorite one is the mind is the battlefield, something about battlefield of the mind. I think the book is called. And the essence is, and by the way, we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare in 2021 here in this space. But, but so much of what happens in our Christian life happens right here. It is, it, it, Romans 12, 1 and 2, it is, it, so much of the Christian life is learning to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so Jeremiah hits the nail on the head and he says, he, he's, he's discouraged and he's weighed down and he's lamenting and, and there's sadness and there's, there's an, an appropriation of an understanding that we have brought this upon ourselves, but 
This I call to mind. And so what we remember has the power to refocus our minds on the truth. What is it that you call to mind when you wake up in the morning? We're all thinking about something all the time. I jotted down some, some common things that we call to mind day after day. And so much of the weight, so much the focus of our life is off because we call to mind our present problems. You got a problem and you think about it over and over and over again. We call to mind our future worries and fears. We call to mind our glaring loneliness. I'm so alone. I'm so alone. I'm so alone. I'm so single. I'm so Jeremiah was single. He didn't call to mind the fact that he missed his dating window. We, we call to mind our deep disappointments, like a broken record of negativity. We're so good at calling to mind our mistakes, our failures, our disappointments, our unmet expectations, and our worst nightmares. No wonder we're so weighed down. When all my hope is lost, it's time to stop and remember. But what is it that we must remember? Well, here's point number two. When all my hope is lost, my only hope is God's goodness. Do you want to remember something that will give you hope? Do you want to remember that which will propel you into faith? Do you want to remember that which will restore you to joy? Deuteronomy chapter 8, I think we did a lesson on that earlier in the year. God commands the people of Jesus Take time and remember. In fact, he says, when you get to the place, the promised land, don't forget there's a practice, a discipline of remembering. Remembering what? Well, remembering God's provision. Remembering how your feet never wore out, your shoes never wore out, how your clothes never tattered, how food was given to you, how water was coming out of the rock. Remember when they walked through Jericho, uh, the, the, the river, uh, on their way to Jericho through the river, uh, I think it was the river I can't remember the name of the river, Jordan, how, how they stopped and they gathered the stones and they took 12 stones and they put them together and, and we did a lesson on that and how God said, listen, now you take a stone and you tell, and the, 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 the heads of the families, they brought their families together and said, here's why we're doing this because we're going to remember God's goodness. And so you say, what, what was it that Jeremiah remembered in the space of hopelessness and the destruction of the city in the aftermath of the fall of Jerusalem, he says, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Here it is. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know this song. Looked up the story of the song, Great is Your Faithfulness, one of the most famous hymns in, 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 in history. Who hasn't been to church and doesn't know? Great is thy faithfulness, O oh God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. I'll spare you the song. But, 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 but the song is so well known. Do you know it was written by a young man who was a teacher. And at age 27, he received Jesus Christ as his Savior. He became, I think his last name is Chris Holm, and he ended up, um, uh, for a small bit of time, a few years, he became a pastor, and then he, his health deteriorated so much, and he had to go back out of the ministry into working some, like, accounting job or something like that. He never got well until he died, and once he wrote the poems, he wrote thousands of poems, and he wrote the words, to great is thy faithfulness, and, and he had a friend who wrote tunes who, ironically, worked at the Moody Bible Institute or had an affiliation with the Moody Bible Institute. And this man who wrote the music, wrote the music to Greatest Thy Faithfulness. And at the time, George Beverly Shea, the famous musician who eventually, I'll tell you, you might recognize that name. I'll tell you where you know him from. But George Beverly Shea had been invited to Moody to do some revival meetings or something. 
Well, somehow he was given that song, Great Is Thy Faithfulness, and he sang it, and it took, and people in Chicago liked the song, and, and there was a young uh, ministry student who was just graduating from the Wheaton Bible Institute and Wheaton College, and he uh, was looking, he was just starting his revival meetings, and he was looking for a song leader, and he uh, found George Beverly Shea, and that young ministry student was none other than Billy Graham. And Billy Graham and George Beverly Shea became partners in the ministry. And of course, you know Billy Graham and George Beverly Shea was his song leader. And, and for years they went around and that song, Greatest Thy Faithfulness, became one of the main songs that they would sing at these meetings. The man who penned the words to Greatest Thy Faithfulness died in an old age of, I think, over 90, if I recall correctly, and never got in good health. He suffered his entire life. But even towards the end of his life, when he thought about that poem that he wrote, there was this knowledge that despite his pain, God had been faithful to him. God had been true to him. When all my hope is lost, my only hope is God's goodness. So here's the people of Israel who were, because of their own sinfulness, in a state that God had predicted they would be in. But remember that Jeremiah, back in chapter 29, Verse 11, one of the most famous verses in scripture had written these words about the people of Israel. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me. And isn't it true when we're suffering that we call on the Lord? Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. Then you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. Famous words that were a promise of God that though they would be taken into captivity in the verses leading up to this famous verse, it, it, Jeremiah had warned the people that you would be taken into captivity, but when you get to Babylon, make houses, dwell in them and live. And the time will come when you will come back to Jerusalem because God in his goodness and mercy, morning by morning, pours new mercies on us, not because we deserve it, but because of his goodness. I have two nephews, they're hilarious, and they're 10 years apart, and one was telling to the other, I'm not going to tell you which and which, but, but today I, I called one of them, and I said, hey, uh, something about, his, he wants to be baptized, and I said, hey, something about the baptism, and, and somehow the conversation took a note, and he says, well, my brother told me I'm not a Christian, and I said, what are you talking about? He says, well, and I knew what he was talking about, because he must have had a hard day where he wasn't behaving as good as he needs to be. And I said to the one boy that I was talking with, I said, but did you remind him what it means to be a Christian? I said, did you remind him that it is not because we are good that we're Christians, but because Jesus is perfect and took the penalty of our sin on the cross? And he put me, you know what he did? He put me on mute. And I could see his lips moving, 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 moving. And then he comes back on. And I said, are you understanding it? Are you understanding it? See, humanly, we think that when we're good and we have a good day and we read our Bibles and we pray and we don't lie and we don't gossip and we don't yell and we don't lust that God must be pleased with us and we must be Christians. And we think on the days that we blow it that something must be wrong and yet it's never about our goodness. It is always because of God's perfect love for us. Romans 5, 8 says, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the good news of the gospel. And so even the story of Jeremiah, as you read the demise of the people of Israel in this era, we know later that they would come back to Jerusalem, but even that was not their salvation. It would be 400 years later when Jesus was born through a virgin named Mary. It was God come to earth 
incarnationally through the person of Jesus Christ. He would live a perfect life and then he would go to the cross on our behalf gladly and willingly and painfully to bear the burdens of our sin so that we with Jeremiah, when we are hopeless, can utter these words, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke of his youth. In Jeremiah, my favorite chapter of Jeremiah, probably hands down, and do yourself a favor, if you are anywhere near discouraged or in despair tonight, you've got to end this evening by reading Jeremiah chapter 31. And in it is this reminder. Remember the point in this outline, when all my hope is lost, it's time to stop and remember, when all my hope is lost, my only hope is God's goodness. Jeremiah 31, thus says the Lord. And maybe these are the things that Jeremiah was thinking about as he walked up and down the streets of Jerusalem, weighed down, lamenting what happened to his people, brokenhearted over what happened. Maybe these were the words that rang into his ears and into his heart. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. And on and on, you can you can look through this chapter. I was looking at it on my phone today and just going through some of the highlighted verses. Let me just open it on, on my phone and just read you some of the, the verses that stuck out to me earlier and, and was so encouraged in remembering exactly who our God is. He goes on and says in verse 10, Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. He who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. Verse 12, they shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord. This is Jeremiah 31 as Jeremiah spent his life predicting the outcome of what would happen by by the, the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonian Empire. And yet in the very same breath, reminding the people of Israel that we serve a good God who is after his people who loves his people, who, it says in verse 14 of Jeremiah 31, I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance and my people shall be satisfied with, with my goodness, declares the Lord. In verse uh, 20, 19, leading up to 20 of Jeremiah 31:9, for after I had turned away, I relented. And after I was instructed, I struck my thigh. I was ashamed and I was confounded because I bore the disgrace of my youth. And then God answering, is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him. Verse 25, for I will satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul I will replenish. In verse 33, the new covenant promise is given in Jeremiah 31, 33, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. In Jeremiah 31, 31, predicting what he would do in the New Testament, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. When all my hope is lost, my, ho- my only hope is God's goodness. God's goodness is his promise he will, that he will always come through for his people. God's goodness is that hopelessness is just a season. God's goodness is that even in our pain, he undergirds us with his love.
unshaken, when all my hope is lost, and here's the last thought and I'll be done. When all my hope is lost, it's best to choose to stay silent. The kind of silence that is described here is a silence of repentance. It is a silence of lament. But we see the theme pop up in Lamentations 3 over and over again. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. It is good that here it is, verse 26. It doesn't say it is easy, but it says it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his use. Let, it, let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. I find that what comes out of my mouth when I'm hopeless are words that I often live to regret. What comes out of my mouth when I'm hurting must be so carefully guarded. What comes out of my mouth is an overflow of what's happening in my heart. And that's not to say that you can't say these things to God. The Psalms are full of the psalmist crying out to God. But our problem is that rather than speaking those things to God, we speak them to each other. And before we know it, we don't trust this God anymore. You see, what happened as, as Jeremiah was urging him, him, reminding himself and encouraging us to stay silent, he reminds himself in that silence that the Lord will not cast off forever. For though he caused grief, he will have compassion. And then he goes on and says, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it. And then he comes down to verse 40, which is the outcome of silence. Let us test and examine our ways and let us return to the Lord. And in this very sentence of returning is the concept of repentance. The idea that there's a recognition that I cannot do this without God. Hope is the recognition that I am lost without a savior. When all my hope is lost, it's time to stop and remember. When all my hope is lost, my only hope is God's goodness. And when all my hope is lost, it's best to choose to stay silence, silent. We are living in one of the most difficult years that I think we as a country has lived through, at least in modern day eras. It's, it's, it's easy to look at the life that we've been in. We look at our cities that are destroyed, the public discourse that has been ripped apart by hatred. And we look at the churches that are shut down and people who are devastated by economic turmoil and physical impact and relational wounds and, and on and on and on. And, and destruction is rampant in 2020 in the United States. It's easy to be hopeless. If you focus your eyes on yourself, it's easy to be hopeless if you forget. If you forget who God is, and if you forget his deep, deep love and compassion towards you. That compassion is offered to you in the person of Jesus Christ. The first question for you tonight is, do you know him? Have you given your life to him? Do you have the assurance that you belong to the good king who has given his son for your sake? And if you know him, have you forgotten that God's mercies are new every morning, that his faithfulness is great? He never fails you. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. And that the day will come, as Jeremiah wrote in chapter 29, verse 11, uh, that that, that we will see those plans that God has for us, plans for welfare and for hope, not for evil. Are you willing to put all of your eggs in the basket of God? And if so, would you be willing to, to speak less, to stay silent and develop this muscle of faith and trust in a God who asks you to wait quietly for him? Listen, things are going to turn around. 
But when they do, where are you going to find yourself? Are you going to be in the wings waiting? Is God going to find you faithful? Or are you going to be like so many that have walked away from the faith, who have sunk in the pit of despair? Uh, you know what's ironic about the life of Jeremiah, and I'll end with this. Um, after he uh, saw, in fact, he uh, was when Nebuchadnezzar came and took over Jerusalem, his life was spared. Uh, uh, the, the life of Jeremiah was spared, and he was given an option of where to live, and he wanted to stay in the land. And, and later on, in uh, the later part of Jeremiah, we're told that he was taken to Egypt. And, and the stories told, and what church tradition, and when you read about the life of Jeremiah, we're told that he was, uh, the thought is that he was uh, killed by his fellow uh, Jewish people in Egypt because they couldn't stand the message that he gave. And so the word is, uh, the story, of course, you know, the commentaries, the books that you read about it say that he was stoned to death. The thought is that he was stoned to death by his own people. And so when you go to Hebrews chapter 11, and we read through sort of that hall of faith, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And then this, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were so stoned. And the thought is that this refers to Jeremiah. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. A reminder again, that those who love God live by faith. Faith in the goodness of God, faith in the character of God, and faith in the promises of God, that he who promised is faithful, who also will do it. Are you trusting him today? Are you hopeful despite the difficult circumstances? Are you putting your all in the basket of God? Uh, Jeremiah did, and it uh, served him well. I know with all of my heart that he is in heaven rejoicing today, and someday uh, those of us who call Jesus our Lord will meet him in person. I barely scratched the surface of the life of Jeremiah, but I can tell you after spending a few days reading about him, I can't wait to meet him. 